it's your host Omar, and welcome to the Curiosity Project. In today's episode on Conversations With, I'll be talking to my friend John Sieber from JDS Labs. We will be discussing John's background, how JDS scaled and grew, what a DAC is, and whether or not separates make the difference many think they do. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well, very well. I did tell you it was a little bit awkward, uh, starting as though we hadn't spoken, uh, and uh, I think I lived up to it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with the flow. Uh, John, I have to say, it's, it's, it's really weird. I, I have to say, one of the things about doing this podcast is I enjoy uh brands so much and i enjoy the product so much and i i end up talking about them uh, at, at fairly great length and when i finally get to meet the people who make the product it's always like this uh um kind of fanboy moment for me it's always very surreal i i, I thoroughly enjoy it so i i have to say i've i've been a fan for a while my audience know who you are uh, already but what I would love if you if you could, if you could give a, a very small introduction as to who you are and uh, what it is that you do. All right. So that, that's an interesting perspective, I will say. Uh, I, I have historically shied away from doing interviews and, and calls because I felt so young. And, uh, right. Now with children, I've realized... I, I suddenly am old enough to to feel that I'm in a position that I can tell this story. <laughs> uh, so uh, to back up a bit, I obtained a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering in 2009 from Missouri University of Science and Technology, which is one of the more prominent engineering universities here in the U.S. Uh, I I really was not confident I wanted to be an electrical engineer when I, I went there. I, I went there to get away from a girlfriend, quite honestly. Right. We, we went elsewhere. <laughs> I, went to, I went to a different university, and uh, that was that. So wow. I, I was studying electrical engineering, and the way the company began was actually a problem that I had with my own audio situation. I was, at the time, trying to carry... 20 gigs of music in MP3 format with me wherever I went, listening to headphones. And, and I just really have always had a, a huge passion for, for listening to music. And iPods were the first way to, to really be able to carry your music with you. Uh, it was a very popular thing back in 2005 to 2009. So anyway, I'm trying to plug in my iPod into my aftermarket car stereo. And I, I'd already spent a ridiculous amount on my, my stereo. It cost more than my car at the time. And as soon as I did, I realized the signal was terrible. I could barely hear the music. The bass was just not where it needed to be. I had these big subwoofers in the back, and they were barely being used because the signal was one volt instead of uh, four volts. So you know, in other words, a quarter of the capability of the system. Uh, being a, a hobbyist, I jumped onto Google and figured out what can I do better? What can I, how can I improve this situation? And I came across the CMOI project from 1998 and I built one. And then I realized, oh, well, I, I really like the subwoofers. I need more bass. Let's try that. So I, 
I started researching how do I add a base boost circuit to this existing project. And I okay. came across uh, a, a few various endeavors from TCON at AMB Laboratories. And I actually posted a question and he directly followed up and said, hey, here's what you do. You add a resistor and a capacitor right here, bam, you'll have base boost. So I built that and I was just blown away by how awesome it sounded at the time. I was listening to some, some music at three in the morning. Uh, just like, wow, this is great. Why has no one done this before? It's two parts per channel. So four total pieces that made the experience okay. so much more enjoyable. Um, so from there, I stuck the extra parts that I'd purchased because you don't just buy two resistors. You buy a bag of 100 or whatever. Of course. Yeah, naturally. So I had all these extra parts. I ended up building more Seamoid base boost designs by hand in my bedroom wow. <laughs> about 15 years ago. How, how, how old were you at this point, may I ask? Oh, I was probably a sophomore in college. So that would put me oh in, what, nineteen twenty something like that. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing led to another, and, and uh, I was just trying to be authentic and honest. I was sharing the excitement, the enjoyment I had for this, this really small hobbyist project. And the, the base boost CMOI, which became CMOI BB in due time, was the, the launch of JDS Labs. That's really quite interesting. And the, the, I, th I think the one thing that I've, I've noticed is, is quite prevalent with a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, of, a lot of guys of, I, I, hope, I hope you don't mind me saying, but cut from your cloth, which is this kind of super innovative, really creative and passionate individuals. Um, who seem to find their rabbit hole in audio. Um, you know, it seems as though that this uh, audio seems to um, congregate, uh, congregate individuals who are just super interested in very particular um, uh, stuff and, and in precision and in engineering and, 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 uh, and music. And, I, and it's really interesting that your entire interest stems from listening to music. Um, I, I wonder what was your kind of first, let's call it an audiophile experience, um, which made you realize that you that you wanted more from your music or maybe the first time you heard music reproduced in it and, and you just sunk back in your chair and you thought, wow, what this is what music is meant to sound like. I, I think I have a different experience with. With that, uh, I'm not sure I've always, again had had this enjoyment for music as you're talking about, but for me, uh, I. I started listening to music at a very, very young age, I'm talking first and second grade. And okay. the reason for that was because my father handed me a set of FM headphones. It was a, a thing that goes around your head with a built-in FM receiver so you can change the channel and change oh, wow. the volume. Um, and I, was, I was in Phoenix, Arizona at the time, here in the US. And I didn't know any of the radio stations. And I was just trying to find something to fill my time. So I started listening to whatever music was out there in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and there was this problem with FM reception out in the middle of the desert, which was it wasn't very good. So there was a ton of static. I can imagine there wasn't much coverage. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. I had terrible headphones and I had a lot of static. So my experience was not very good at all. Sure. 
but I enjoyed listening to the music, whatever music I could find. Mm. And I think that's where the journey began. I found a, a, that listening to music could, could spark different feelings or emotions. Not that I really understood much of that at the young age of what, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Um, but I continued to, to listen to different types of music. And I found myself continuing to use that headset for years, like well into grade school and middle school. I'd wow. listen to that at night um, in my bedroom. And I got into some really weird genres, quite honestly, as a young kid. I don't think my parents had any idea what I was listening to, but <laughs> you'd listen really late at night. You'd listen to these raves broadcast locally right. here in St. Louis. They were underground rave events. And here wow. I am, <laughs> a, a little little kid listening to raves and people just having mad parties. And it was incredible because you hear this, these early sounds of trance and, and what would lead to the EDM industry these days, which is sure. completely different. But it was a weird experience to have well before you're even approaching adulthood. So I, I know I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but the, the, the idea was as I'm hearing all these different genres and listening to really bad reception at times, I was always looking to have a, a better experience. I wanted to get rid of the FM static. I wanted the, the audio to always be consistent because at so many points in time, I was like, oh, I got to move my head just so it sounds better. Right. Um, the real turning point for me, the, the epiphany, as I think you were, you were getting at, was uh, hearing the first aftermarket uh, car stereo. It wasn't mine. Uh, I happened to be riding around with uh, a couple girls in high school that were part of the band. It was in the marching band and jazz bands. Sure. And uh, we went through a drive-thru and she turned on some music and all of a sudden the bass hit. And I was like, what was that? You know? And it just, suddenly there was a whole <laughs> bunch of bass in the car and the windows were shaking and I, I had never experienced anything like that. And that, by no means is this audiophile grade no, of material course yeah no but it was different it was impactful yeah. your body felt it your ears certainly heard what was was different and being cd quality it was it was just unlike anything i'd ever heard before and i was addicted at I that imagine. point yeah so that's extraordinary you know it's it's really uh fascinating because i i haven't my Similar situation to you, uh, John, my, my kind of experience, my first um, exposure to music was at an, at an extremely young age. And, you know, music for my family has always been something very, very important and something that, you know, should really be um, respected and considered not, not only for for the way that it sounds, but for the content that it uh, that, that 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 it makes you feel the way that it makes you feel the 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 lyrical qualities, you know, all these things are so important when it comes to music. Uh, one song can take you back fifteen years, regardless of whether it's produced on a five thousand pound hi fi setup, or whether you're listening to it on your iPhone speaker. You know, it really doesn't make too much of a difference if you're talking about the emotive qualities of music. So, when I was very young, I I was really into music. I then started to learn how to play the piano and I got interested in producing music and stuff like that and writing my own music and that was always very interesting. 
Uh, but really understanding this audiophile world, which is a recent thing for me, has been very interesting. Um, and the whole idea of personal audio is something that's been very fascinating for me. So hi-fi is something that I think, for a lot of the old school guys, is something that's quite well reported and explored. Um, and it can be quite cost prohibitive sometimes as well, I think, for most people. And also space prohibitive as well, um, particularly if you live in a, in, a, in, in, the, in a city like myself in London, um, where space comes at a premium, uh, an extreme premium. Um, a lot of people can't really have a hi-fi setup um, or maybe their neighbours are complaining or whatever it might be. Um, so personal audio has been really interesting for me. And I was recently introduced to the idea of having a headphone amplifier. Now, I'd like to kind of take a step back and just think about that thing that you mentioned earlier about adding some of those resistors to your car stereo and really opening up the sound. Uh, I wondered, why aren't those resistors there already? And I'm, I'm sure it's not a huge expense for some of these, some of these manufacturers back then. Um, why, why were they already missing? What, did, you, did you ever think about that? Or when it sounds like a fairly easy fix. Right, right. So, so to clarify that project, um, what I was trying to accomplish was to boost the signal, to literally mm. amplify the signal and make it two to four times louder. Okay. Uh, so the Seymour project with a simple off-amp-based um, headphone amplifier and I recognized that that would be a perfect solution to boosting the line level signal for my particular application at the time. The additional components that I was adding to create the Seymour DB were essentially uh, a low pass filter integrated into the offense. So without getting too technical, I was adding uh, an effect or equalization okay. of some type. Like an EQ. Yeah, think of it that yeah. way. Okay, interesting. So if I was to ask you then, uh, John, if I was to say, well, what is an amplifier? What, 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 does it, what does it actually do to the signal when you're, when you're talking about personal audio? Um, you know, a lot of people think about headphones uh, as a way for them to just take a headphone jack and plug it into their phone and they can hear music. So why, why would you even need a headphone amplifier in that respect? Um, that's definitely a question that I've got quite a lot um with audience uh with members of my audience who maybe are taking their first steps into the, into um uh, the headphone world um what's the situation there so that's that's a good question i think so many people that jump into the industry or are new new to headphones or high-end headphones have that same question they want to know do i need a headphone amplifier and how is this going to make my my listening better and honestly, you, you usually don't need a headphone amplifier. So I want to be clear about that. Most people don't need headphone amplification or high-end audio to enjoy their music. Is, let's get, get down to it. The whole point of listening is to, to enjoy the experience. The headphone amplifier comes in when you find something you're lacking in your listening experience, your personal headphone listening. That may be a dynamic range. You might have background hiss. And those are the two biggest factors that a headphone amplifier immediately addresses. It helps you okay. to get the perfect experience for your particular setup. 
and your setup has a number of variables. You have your own ears, you have your audio source, which may or may not be competent for, for your setup. And then you have headphones, which are a very personal experience. Yeah. Interesting. And does, does it also come into, so if we could talk about the, the headphones for a second, um, do you, do you believe that there's a certain, I, I hate to use this term, but there's a certain level of headphone that you would typically say to people that, Hey, you know, if you're, I, I wouldn't recommend a headphone amplifier. I don't think it could do very much for, let's say your Apple wired earbuds, for example. Um, that's perhaps not the right use for a headphone amplifier. Um, there's certain words like impedance and, um, and, and, and stuff like that, which are quite confusing. And, um, a lot of, a lot of manufacturers don't make it very clear. Maybe some of them make it too clear. And I, I wonder what your take is on that. Do you, do you think that there's some headphones that are kind of made to be amplified? I don't like to think about it quite that way. Uh, the general recommendation that I I've given to any customer who's asked or any potential customers, try the headphones first before you buy from us mm. or from any of our competitors. Just try your headphones. If you're happy with how the headphones sound, don't buy anything else. If you're unhappy, you feel like you're, you're missing uh, really power, like the ability to turn the knob to a comfortable position, not, not all the time, but maybe even a particular track then that's an opportunity to improve dynamic range. And that's that's the biggest, to me, the biggest reason to invest in a headphone amplifier. Sure. Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's definitely something that I've recently learned about. Um, so I've been using the Atom stack uh, for a while, which is the the, the, the amp and the, and the DAC separated. And I've been using that for a while with some, I'll be honest with you, some pretty good kit. Um, you know, I've used uh, 300 dollar headphones and i've also used two and a half thousand dollar headphones on them uh, and it performs extraordinarily well which is weird and we're going to get into that in a bit um but i recently got hold of the um element two uh which is of course a step up in price um albeit not that much of a step up to be completely honest uh it's got the dac and the amp in one unit um and it is a higher end product and i have noticed a significant sound difference in the same headphones and it's very interesting i'd like to kind of pick your brain on that uh, but i before we do that i'd like to just go back uh, and and st and pick up from a part of the story that you were just telling where you had just finished this bass boosting um uh, mod let's call it uh to your car setup and one thing led to another you started doing more and more and more. JDS was then formed. When you formed JDS, what were you kind of thinking? What did you want to do? I mean, you know, I mean, you're not doing base mods anymore, you know. So what, what, what were you thinking? What was going through your head? No, there was no business plan. No, um, I wasn't thinking <laughs> that I was going to found a company. I was trying to trying to share this project at the time. It, it was just enjoyable, and I wanted others to to see that, hey, you can either buy or build uh, any of these number of Seymours and, and give a little background on that. There were a handful of other hobbyists at the time selling Seymours for nominal prices on eBay. And I bought one. And that, that led me to realize, oh, well, I could 
probably sell the base boost version, people would find it more enjoyable. It's a better value. It sounds better. It's more fun. So I was just trying to share my excitement. But um, what what led me to found the company was was no grand plan. It was really just a matter of trying to to help people to enjoy this 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 fun circuit. That was really all it was about. And when you sell one and you start to, to share this excitement, it, it starts to snowball. You start to hear from more and more people sharing the enthusiasm. And then they begin to ask questions about, well, hey, can you build this? Can you, can you make it do a particular feature? Can you make it chargeable or not chargeable? And, you know, just any number of questions begin to pop up. So as a, a tinkering engineer, yeah, I can I can answer yes to most of these questions, but it it suddenly evolved into this seems to be like an actual side gig, which meant that I had to start to focus and realize and, and try to make an understanding of how I can help a broader audience with these various requests, which is the basis of forming a company. Try to fill a small market in terms of voids in the market. That makes perfect sense, yeah. And uh, of course, as you as you kind of sat down and you thought, "Hang on a second, I'd 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 really like to make my passion and my hobby my job." Um, well, how did things turn from deciding to sell a uh, a a a uh, a Seymour mod, um, and you decided to then focus solely on headphone amplification uh, and and DAC production? Or what what? Why, why did you make that decision? Okay, I think that's better. Anyway, so the transition was, was a, an interesting journey. When I graduated with an electrical engineering degree in 2009, the market was suddenly crashing. Uh, it, was, it was the first economic downturn in quite some time. And I had, I had at, right before this downturn, a great job offer with a Fortune 100 company. Okay. And suddenly that offer was rescinded because they rescinded <laughs> <Right>. everyone's offers. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no big deal. I thought I've got a side gig going, got a source of revenue. And then I had another job offer come in from uh, a state government. So I took that job here in St. Louis. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I had a full-time job for a while uh, the Army Corps of Engineers in St. Louis. And what I realized very, very quickly into that experience was that it wasn't for me. It wasn't okay. what I wanted to do. I, I did not actually want to be a, a regular electrical engineer. I was bored out of my mind, and I had so much more fun in, in interfacing and talking with all of these customers and, and audio enthusiasts after hours about headphones. And was it uh, was it sorry to cut you off was it was it um the lack of creative freedom that made you boring or was it the 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 fact that you weren't working in an industry that you wanted to like hi-fi i i enjoyed the people i was working with uh at at the government but as anyone in the u.s understands the they call it red tape i think um sure it's a very slow industry there's a, a general uh, general frustration with how quickly the pace of work unfolds, and it's all that bureaucracy, I, right? 
yeah, lots of bureaucracy. You have to sign off on every single tiny little budget item and find mm. time to, to work on a project. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the red tape situation of bureaucracy, but I enjoy a fast paced work environment, whatever it is. If it's, I'm with you. <laughs> I would be a great truck driver, honestly. Just <laughs> run from one point to the next. That's my, my style. Totally. Um, anyway, getting back to the, the point. Um, so it was a really simple decision. I, I didn't want to abandon the full-time career so quickly because it, to me, seemed like a, a risk to not have a steady source of income. At the same time, I was extremely excited and passionate about headphones and headphone amplifiers around this period of time. And the market was suddenly exploding. We had a ton of new customers coming in every day, and I was struggling, literally struggling to keep up. I found myself working 80 hours or more every single day or week, not day, obviously, um, trying to fulfill orders and answer questions single-handedly. Wow. There was a turning point in 2011 when the NWAV logger, which I'll try to not get into too much. It's been pretty well covered. If you look up NWAV guy, um, essentially I was one of the first people to respond to his, his blog posts and follow his blogs. So as soon as the objective two headphone amplifier appeared on his blog, JDS labs was there to support the project, the open source project. Interesting. And that, that movement sparked the, the official launch of JDS labs. So I had been tinkering around as a hobbyist for a few years with a full-time job. And 2011, I, I put my two weeks notice in with the government and said, I appreciate my time here and I'm going to pursue this passion. Fascinating. Fascinating. And it's really interesting the way that you've decided to pursue it and in, in the fashion that you have, because as we both know, and as we both can kind of appreciate hi-fi, particularly audio file level hi-fi is expensive. And you do need to have a certain level of disposable income to be able to enjoy your music at the highest echelon. Um, you know, particularly if you have a certain taste in music. Um, I, I was just talking to John from KS Distribution um, uh, earlier today, and we were talking about how audiophiles all seem to be into the same kind of music. It's all like, you know, uncompressed <laughs> jazz music and stuff like that. Oh yeah, you know, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which 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 is a great thing, right? And I, and I think it's so important to have diversity and variety. But it seems as though that a lot of these guys from a particular generation all seem to be into the same kind of stuff. It's that uncompressed, like you know, jazz, high dynamic range kind of stuff, right? Um, which is why it made me so excited when you told me about this this love for bass that you had. I mean, I've. Uh, I, I just got um, uh, two rel acoustic uh, subwoofers installed in my uh, hi-fi setup and it's just killer. But um, it's it's really, it, it should be fun. Yeah, right? you're going to ruin you know, my image, man. Uh, when people find out that I love bass <laughs> and I'm the head of the objective movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. But, um, you know, it's 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 really quite... Um, 
it's really quite interesting is that you you have this this thing which is it's it, it was a rule or a fact for a while that if you want really nice quality stuff you have to reach real deep into your pockets and sometimes i think most people didn't even really know what they were reaching deep into their pockets for you know you you have people out there who are told that you need to buy a $5000 cable when they can't even hear the difference but yet they were told by let's say a reputable reputable reviewer that this is the way forward so it's a very expensive game to get into especially if you want to get into the nice stuff but yet you decided that i'm going to make really good quality stuff that's like 80% cheaper than its equivalent competition and i can imagine that not making you very popular with your competition um why did you decide to go down that extremely high value route um and has that always been something that you wanted to do you wanted to create a super high value product that performs the same way that a very high end product would yeah so i i see what you're getting at and you're you're right on um <laughs> we got to we got to describe the the headphone market too so sure 15 years ago say early 2000s mid 2000s you could not find a 99 dollar headphone amplifier it simply was not a thing uh you, you couldn't even really find a 300 dollar or 400 us dollar headphone amplifier and if you could find something for sale from a business of any size it was an extremely ah, uncertain investment in my personal opinion because there were no specifications uh oftentimes the the companies would be managed or run by a single person making claims that their ears heard and you really right. didn't know what you were buying it was very difficult to distinguish between one of these high end or so called high end headphone amplifiers and any other high end headphone amplifiers let alone compare them to any of the DIY offerings at the time hmm. so being a college student with no resources <laughs> DIY was the only way to go and i think this sure. this happens to so many in the industry you get into DIY audio because you happen to have the mindset the interest and enthusiasm to pursue a project whereas not everyone does uh in terms of the business strategy again remember there was no business strategy in 2009 sure. for Julius Labs it wasn't a, it wasn't really a thing um i've always been about listening to to other headphone uh, owners and trying to help them unfold their experience 2011 was the turning point because suddenly we had a prominent person within the industry saying okay you don't need to spend thousands of dollars on any of your equipment we can we can achieve transparency in a DIY headphone amplifier for a very affordable price JDS Labs helped make that that project a success mm. we became the worldwide leader in the manufacturing and distribution of the objective to and Uh, subsequently the odac and that helped us learn and understand that people were definitely interested in 
achieving transparency without paying out the notes. And that's what we've continued to do for years. Can you explain what you mean by transparency? What do you mean by that? Transparency. So trying to loop this back together. There is a certain amount of distortion, noise, anything that interferes with your your listening experience, whether it's by headphones or speakers. And for me, that was always about FM static and just weird things that I had early in my my listening uh, years that were obviously not part of the intended listening uh, through headphones. You shouldn't hear static when you're trying to listen to music, but that's part of FM radio. Anyway, even once you go beyond FM radio and you say you switch to CD quality or later MP3s, there are other pros and cons of each type of audio. With MP3s, it was very painfully obvious in the early years, like with 64-bit and 128-bit MP3s, that there was an added level of distortion. You could, you could hear it. There was this weird, like, ringing almost in the high end or lack of a high end. Um, and I, I was really never happy with that. Nevertheless, I enjoyed obtaining MP3s and and listening to all sorts of different genres for years. Um, but the idea of transparency, to answer the question, is getting rid of all of those cons. You don't want to hear distortion. You don't want to hear uh, pops and clicks and static. You want to hear whatever was recorded by the artist. And there was a lack of confidence for decades that any audio gear could achieve the recording. So that's what, what transparency is about. It's about exceeding the agreed threshold of distortion and noise performance, such that whatever was recorded is what you're going to get aside from whatever your headphones are introducing. Because let's face it, headphones are all going to be a little different. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a really interesting point, this whole idea of um being resolving and being transparent and all that sort of stuff, right? All these audiophile words and jargon is really quite interesting. And I remember uh, a friend of mine, uh, I had just gotten a pair of uh Odyssey L C D two classics, um, which are an absolute delight to listen to and uh, I, I tested them on the on the Atom DAC as well, on the Atom stack rather. And uh, I remember mentioning the word transparent to him and he was like, what on earth are you talking about? Are you, are you, are you a maniac? Um, and he said, what, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I guess the only way that I can explain it is it's like having a smudge on your glasses and you don't wipe it off and you, you continue using them throughout the day and eventually your brain kind of accepts that smudge as it's going to be there and after a while you don't really see it there anymore it's just part of your experience of looking at your glasses right, right but then when you take time and you clean your glasses and you look through them all of a sudden it seems as though you've just gone from 1080p to 4k um and that's the experience that i kind of explained to my friend about what i mean by increasing transparency it's you being able to hear the music better you being able to, the same way you can see the world a bit better with cleaner glasses, it's almost like it's cleaning your headphones. Uh, and that was the only way that my brain could be able to process it to explain it to somebody else. That's a great way to put it. I like that analogy. Um, it, it also agrees with the, the concept that beyond a certain point, 
transparency is not more transparent. And that's a, an idea that's often discussed within the community. Yeah, yeah. And that is something that I've 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 heard spoken about several um spoken th th there's one reviewer that i i really enjoy and I, I i really enjoy kind of tuning in and listening to and that's zeos pantera um and uh i i know zeos is a is a huge supporter of of jds labs he really loves what you guys are doing um and you know unfortunately he too is definitely a music focused individual uh he he really you know, thinks that music, that all this gear, all this stuff is just there to service the music. It's it's not there to be fancy and expensive and powerful for the sake of being fancy and expensive and powerful. It, it should be there to serve a purpose, right? Now, here's the, the fascinating thing. When I, when I go online and I type in headphone amplifiers, right? Things are pretty expensive, even today, even now in in twenty twenty one. Most of the stuff out there is still extremely expensive. Expensive. If I look at, you know, something like a Pathos or a Rupert Nev or however you pronounce it, or you know, a a Chord or something like that, right? These are you're going to have to pay minimum seven or eight hundred pounds, you know, over a thousand dollars to get a basic level. DAC and amp and in fact that's not even the DAC that's just the amp you're going to have to shell out another five or six hundred pound just for the just for the DAC so we're talking over a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars to get something that couples very nicely with a very high-end headphone like let's say the Sennheiser 800s for example which is a very very popular high-end audiophile headphone um and it's something that I've tested on on the JDS equipment um uh, quite extensively when you have now kind of gotten past this point you're very re recognized in the industry you're argu arguably jds labs created this this kind of sector right this affordable very high-end performing well above its price point headphone amplifier market um, there's a few other manufacturers i can think of but none as well known as jds labs um uh, in fact, I can't actually think of another one. The one I was thinking of only really makes headphone amplifiers that are balanced output. Um, uh, and I think I know who I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, uh, I think it's a Gashelli Labs or something like that. Yeah, um, and lady. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think he only makes headphone amplifiers that are balanced output. I don't think he makes anything that's um, a quarter inch or anything like that. Um, so I think you guys are the only ones, actually. Yeah, you're the only ones, essentially. I wouldn't say we're the only ones. I will say that we, we've we been the leader in the objective side of the market, and others have recognized our success and tried to replicate what we do with varying degrees of success. So okay. I, I'm really <laughs> pleased to say that we've, we've grown this area of the market because now it's not just us. Sure. So it's remarkable. Sure. Makes sense. Now, we, we've spoken a lot about this kind of high value, uh, this super high value proposition that you've been offering your clients, right, and your, and, and your customers. And I think that's extraordinary. You know, I, I love individuals who use their knowledge and their passion to democratize industries. I think that's fantastic. Uh, and that's essentially what you did. You democratized high end personal audio. And I think that's amazing. Now, one thing that I've kind of seen on the Internet, and I'd like to get your perspective on this is with the element 
Now, the element isn't like the atom, right? The atom is, I mean, you can have a couple of hundred dollars and have a ready-to-go, fairly high-end um, uh, power source and, 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 and a DAC for not very much money. Now, the, the element, on the other hand, is about, um, I think for the stack, you're looking about four or five hundred dollars. For the uh, combination unit that you guys have, I think it's about three hundred dollars there or thereabouts. Uh, um, four hundred for element, and uh, it's two ninety nine plus two forty nine. What does that add up to for the, the stack? At any rate, there are actual sure. numbers. Yeah. Sure. So it's so it's around that. So it's about three to four, maybe four and a half times more expensive than the than the atom there or thereabouts. Anyway. Um, are you guys moving away from that value proposition now? And if not, what was the what was the thinking behind the element? What what's the objective behind it? The idea of, of manufacturing the element has has shifted over time. So let's let's recognize that the first generation element, the initial release in 2015, was was only three or four years after the great success of the the Objective Two and ODAC. Uh, the idea at the time was we, we were trying to shift away from that open source project and move towards all of the, the awesome feedback we had received, which was, let's make it look nicer. <laughs> yeah, which um, is... <laughs> that's really what it was about initially. We wanted to make... So, the- you know what? So funny that you mentioned that. I remember when I got the first Atom, da- uh, Atom stack right, and I called up uh, John and I said, John, is there anything in this box that you've just sent me? <laughs> have you sent me like 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 a demo unit that doesn't actually work it feels like it's empty you know it just feels like this really hollow thing it's amazing huh <laughs> that's that's yeah that I, that's the experience we had when we first built uh adam amp and so we added a, a bit of weight just to to beef it up and that is customizable at any rate i i agree with you yeah element is vastly superior in terms of its feel physically. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the reasoning is that not everyone wants a, an entry level solution. Some people are more passionate not just about the listening experience, but what is physically present on their desk. And I, I'm I'm guilty of that myself. Like I I I want to have a clean, organized desk at home and at the office. And if you look around, some people have a messy environment, some people don't care, and some people have a very either artistic or uh, designer type of, of work setup. And you cannot necessarily make everybody happy with the same solution. And that's really the basis of why we have different product lines. The Element 2 is, is designed to, to be appealing and fun to, to have on your desk. and and fun to interact with because it has a nice large knob whereas it does the atom line is meant to to satisfy the core need of achieving high fidelity audio sure yeah yeah i i have to say and you know j- just as a, a bit of feedback i i have to say i think it's beautifully designed uh john it, it, it really is the the element is a is a is a pleasure it's something that you can really have with pride uh on your on your hi-fi rack or your desk um and it was definitely very different to the atom, where it's very much something that you want to put at the back of the desk. Uh, it maybe right. looks quite utilitarian, um, 
you know, a little stout, a little boxy. Um, whereas the, for, for, for lack of a better phrase, the, the element is extremely aesthetic. Uh, it looks beautiful. It's clearly very high design and it feels much higher end. It really does. In, in fact, it feels, uh, e even though it's quite, even though it's quite a price jump from the Atom, uh, it feels like it's a significantly higher price jump than it actually is. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, for me, it's moved from that DIY feel over to something that, you know, a, 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 a bigger brand would, would manufacture. That's really the feeling that it gives me. Um, the tolerances of the product, the finishing of it, it's, it's all truly, truly beautiful stuff. It's, it's very, very nice. Um, so huge congratulations on that. It's such a, it really is a beautiful product, particularly for the price. That's, that's been a, an amazing experience in terms of learning how to manufacture those things. Yeah. <laughs> it's been what, six years now since we released the first one. And I think we finally figured out how to do it. I'll put it that way. I, I wonder what were some of the uh, most memorable challenges that you guys experienced during this six-year journey that you tried to create the element? Uh, I hired a, a contractor to, to do some work in my house last year. And one of the other contractors came by asking about the timeline. And I said, oh, I think it'll be done in about three months. And he said, okay, well, uh, from my experience, any project that you think you have figured out take twice as long and cost twice as much right element was about like that in terms of a project sure we, thought we knew how much we were going to need to spend to achieve the vision and we thought we knew how long it would take and we were pretty wrong on on that hmm. so the the design took i i haven't quite basically forgot the numbers at this point but i know that we were working on it in 2013 and 2014 and it wasn't released until well into 2015. Wow. That and the acquisitions made to, to produce the first elements nearly bankrupt the company. You're we had kidding really me. no idea how much we were going to, to spend to make that, that product a reality. So, um, no, I, I, I say that, um, it was, it was not like, a disaster in terms of of getting the product off the ground and it was not due to lack of excitement from the community but it was sure it was the way we went about it it was the fact that we were still most of us young <laughs> young kids uh hardly with much experience in terms of entrepreneurship or business we just lacked sure. a general understanding of risks and uh, I certainly at the time lacked an appetite for that much risk. So it, it, was, it was stressful to, to get the element off the ground. I'm very glad that we did it because it has enabled us to, to grow. And, and it's a huge learning opportunity that's made us approach projects quite differently in recent years. Fascinating. Um, and the, Go ahead. Yeah, please go ahead. No, 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 please. Um, I'll try to, keep this as concise as possible. So the idea that I had when we were trying to, to build the initial batch of elements in 2015 was let's contract it out. Let's, let's pay some other machine shop to build this thing. And my business partner, Nick said, 
Well, if we do that, we're going to, why, why not just buy machines, John? Why don't we just buy the machines? We'll save ourselves money. <laughs> and I thought about it. And we went back and forth for a couple of weeks and like, okay, sure. Buy some machines. <laughs> and that's why we have a machine shop today. Um, long story short on that, that matter. Um, don't buy a machine shop if you're an audio company because they're very contradicting <laughs> goals. One is a very loud, noisy experience, and one is a very quiet experience. <laughs> so I think, uh, it, uh, to be honest, John, I, th I think I've seen the inside of this shop, uh, albeit a, a a very small amount. I was on a video call with Zach. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And he told me that he shares a um, a premise with 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 you guys in your manufacturing plant. Yeah, yeah, he he has a portion of our warehouse now in the machine shop. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I thought that was really quite interesting, and because um, uh, I, I I mentioned to him um, that uh, he he asked me what you're going to be testing the stuff on, uh, and I said, well, I've I've been using JDS Labs for a while, and he said, oh, no way. I'm literally <laughs> in the place where they make the stuff. <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Um, but uh, but no, that's that's really quite interesting. And you know, I, I I wonder, aside from this aesthetical kind of increase, right? You you guys haven't just taken the the, the motherboard from from the atom and just put it in a fancier case, right? It's 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 a it's a new product from the ground up, and. I wonder what what are the differences between something like the atom and the the element when it comes to actual functionality? Um, is there a difference in the amplification, and what does that even mean? Like, isn't just amplification oh. amplification? So, I have a very simplified view of headphone amplifiers and even digital to analog converters at, mm. at this point. Um, to really share the way I think about it. it, it an amplifier consists of really only a handful of sections. You have the power stage where you're uh, filtering and delivering the necessary voltages to the amplifier. Then you have the logic or glue to interact all of the features and functionality and connectivity of the system. And then third, you have the core amplifier, which that's what everyone's talking about. But think about it, if you don't have the power or the logic or connections, what good is the amplifier? <laughs> yeah. So the difference, um, the, the output stage of Atom Amp and Element 2 are very, very similar. We're using the same, same output uh, buffer. The, the key differences are in the way that we have arranged the analog logic, the digital logic, or lack thereof in Atom Amp, and the capability of the power supply stage. Okay. So element two runs at a, a bit higher voltage. The gain is a slightly higher configuration for the headphone amplifier. And due to the larger size and aluminum chassis, there's an additional amount of natural heat sinking integrated into the circuit board as well as the enclosure. So you'll find that even though they have a similar analog output stage, Element has a slightly higher dynamic range. And it's capable of more peak output power relative to an atom amp, which is a more compact circuit with a little bit less voltage. 
Uh, aside from that, I think we also pay for um, higher precision passive components within element two. We really don't like to talk too much about that because it gets taken out of context at times. And I'm not trying to say that necessarily element two sounds better or has higher, you know, has any sense of audio, anything audiophile in terms of more transparency or sounding better or warmer mm. or cooler or any of those poetic terms we'll, we'll call them. Really the idea is about perfection when it, when it comes down to it. We're, we're just trying to make the, the element two easier to use so that you don't have to think it's hard and it just it looks and feels nice um, it's more premium whatever that may be it's different things to different people yeah i, th I, th I think that's actually a really nice way to put it um, and you're totally right you know premium does mean different things to different people it's such a difficult thing to go for um you know does premium mean more power does it mean it's smaller. Does it mean it's bigger? You know, in, in some industries, premium means something smaller. In other industries, it means it's bigger. Um, in some industries, it means it's super light. In some industries, it means it's super heavy. You know, it's, it's just a real slippery slope. And I think what you have to do is just identify as a brand with what you guys believe would make a better product. And if that means it's more expensive, then that necessarily that could mean it's more premium. Uh, and I think that's probably the way that you guys have chosen to think about what premium is and what your customers would think that premium is, is as well. There's one thing that I've uh, been thinking about recently, and I'd love to hear your thought. Now, you guys obviously produce integrated amplifiers, which is the Element 2, um, where you've got the DAC and the amp in one unit. But you guys also provide pretty much every product with an option to separate it out into a stack where you've got one unit with a DAC and one unit with an amp. Why, why is that an option? Why, why would someone why? need yeah. that? Completely fair. Uh, the reason is because if we were to say, okay, you can only buy it by Element 2 as an amp and DAC integrated together, inevitably half the people say, well, I already have a DAC. I want just an amplifier. And then there are plenty of people who also just need a DAC to connect to a hi-fi setup where they are listening to passive or active speakers and don't even have headphones. So the idea of having separate units is just to accommodate more people who have more specific needs. And on that note, there's there are plenty of audiophile needs that we currently do or do not support for various reasons. Um, but to us, the Element 2 just naturally makes sense to, to manufacture into its split-up sections of Here's a headphone amplifier, and here's the rest of it. Okay. Is there any, um, let's call it audiophile advantage to splitting the, no. the amp and DAC together? No. Uh, I, sorry, I to splitting it apart. No, I, absolutely not. Uh, the Element 2, and I've, I've tried to document this as often as possible. So um, mm. an EL amp 2 is an element two. It's the same circuit board. It's the same same thing. All we're doing is omitting the components for the USB controller and digital to analog converter. Okay. So it, it, there's, there's no difference. Now, listen to anybody who does audiophile reviews, and they'll tell me some very fascinating stories. So. Yeah. What what <laughs> I what I've heard is there's a certain level of harmonic distortion. 
that goes on if the boards are too close to one another or something like that. And to, to get away from that distortion and to reduce vibrations, uh, you have to split them out from one another. So you have to have one separate and you have to have the other one. And if you don't, you're not a real audiophile. Well, I mean, those are the, the claims, right? <laughs> <laughs> if, if that were true, I would not be achieving my, my goal. Uh, I pay a lot of money for these audio analyzers and I spend a lot of time staring at graphs and numbers and distortion measurements and making sure that that statement is false that's yeah. that's my goal yeah I, th I think that's probably you know this is quite huge because to me it didn't really make much sense right but because i come from a hi-fi world where separates is really where people want to go right and i and i think the reason is is because you've got a huge toroidal transformer in the middle of an amplifier. And when you do have an integrated amplifier, that kind of screws around with a few bits and pieces and you, and, and you want there to be this, 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 this equal power distribution across, across everything. And separates in that respect does make sense. And it's measurable. You can, you can measure a difference by splitting out your DAC from your, from your big, you know, 200 watt per channel amplifier. Uh, or you can hear the difference between an integrated amp and monoblocking, for example. Um, you, there is a difference there, or, albeit not as big as many people may think it is. Um, and I get a lot of flack for saying things like that, but with some of the guys in these forums. Uh, but that's just what my ears are telling me. I, I don't really hear that big of a difference when I even split it out from a hi-fi perspective. But that that hi-fi traditional view that separates are the way to go, I think has been translated over into the headphone world, albeit maybe mistakenly so. Uh, and I have been a believer for a while that separates are better than integrated when it comes to headphone amplifiers. So I wanted to ask you, so that there is really no measurable uh, improvement um, uh, when it comes to engineer, when it comes to scientific measurements. Well, probably get myself in trouble I'll be as honest as I can here. There is no change in distortion. There's no change in, in most specifications. But of course, if think about it this way, if you're powering the USB controllers, the, the digital to analog converter and the headphone amplifier, and suddenly you take away two out of three of those components on the same circuit board, there's an opportunity for more power to be delivered to the amplifier and less you know interaction between the various switching oscillators and and components of the DAC um, to have any impact on the rest of the circuit. That being said, every design, every competent design has to go through FCC and CE compliance testing. And part of that process means that it cannot, a design cannot have audible problems, we'll call it, when certain things occur on the power lines and certain interference is introduced. So any design that has been competently engineered and passed CE compliance testing should be free of audible problems and measurable problems mm. like radiated emissions and such. So when I look at the benchmark results, say of an ELN2, and I execute our, our standard test on an audio precision analyzer, it looks the same to me in terms of all the results sure. as an element two. 
but then I hear from from various reviewers and, and people like you, well, it, it sounds different, it's better, it's discreet, it's an independent amp and you've got an independent DAC and I, I just had this, this experience that it's different and somehow sonically better. Can you comment on that? And I really refrain from trying to explain these things. Yeah. Even though I know that there is a physical difference and I have taken parts away. So there is that opportunity for, for a change in power and a change in uh, some, you know, hypothetical <laughs> interference between the, the switching yeah. circuits. But no, I don't see it. I really don't see it. Perhaps I'm looking in the wrong places, but we, we conduct all kinds of tests and the distortion and noise and IMD performance is the same. So mm. it's really difficult to argue from an engineering perspective that there's a difference. Sure. But I don't want to say sure. anybody's wrong. I, <laughs> I enjoy music just like anyone else. And I know there's a subjective component to it. And if, if there weren't, then we wouldn't manufacture elements at all. A very diplomatic answer. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your CEO cap on. Um, so, <laughs> no, I, 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 I have to actually agree with you, to be completely honest. I mean, I, I, I haven't been able to A-B test the EL2 and the EL stack. Um, I think that would be quite an interesting uh, experience to kind of go through. And um, because if, f from my thing that the the ab that i've been able to do and i and i do hear a a a considerable a considerable difference on particular headphones between my atom stack and my el2 um particularly on the higher end headphones uh, i've i've recently just received a zmf verite closed um which is a three thousand dollar headphone i think um something along those lines anyway um and and that sounds considerably better on the EL2 compared to the Atom stack. Um, so that that's been quite fascinating for me, particularly the the, the ZMF headphones, uh, the Auteur and the Verite clothes. They do sound quite a bit better on the EL2. Um, whereas on headphones like the Sennheiser HD HD 660s, it's really you know it's really splitting hairs there. To be completely honest. I do hear a difference, but then I listen to it again and I'm really looking for that difference. And then I listen to it again. It's, it's interesting. You know, we, we really start to split hairs in that, in that respect. Um, but I, I wanted to know, John, what are you guys working on now? And uh, what does the future look like for JDS? <laughs> so many people would like to know what we're working on. Um, typically, we, we refrain from commenting. Uh, I, I did a podcast with a, another person a couple of weeks ago and really gave a vague answer. I don't think sure. you answer the question at all. So I'll try to do a better job today with you. Um, the direction we're going is, is a little different than, than we have been working towards in the recent years. So we've been all about mm. our objectivity and transparency and making making the experience about numbers. And we've got to get away from that because it's not all about numbers. Um, even as you know, someone who appreciates good benchmark performance and, and sharing all of the work that we do and putting it quantitatively, um, we've reached a point where it doesn't get much better than this. We're starting to, to really push the 
the edges of what can be measured. Uh, we haven't talked about numbers here, and I'll, I'll keep one really short. Sign ad. Sure. Um, so in 2011, we talked with NWAV guy about the uh, standard for transparency. And at the time, which this should be true for all of time, not just back then, uh, transparency mm -hmm. was agreed to be 0.005% total harmonic distortion and noise. So two okay. zeros yeah, and yeah, a five. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've added a zero and then cut that in half. And then we cut it in half again. You've got to think we're orders of magnitude beyond that point of transparency. I didn't know that. Orders of magnitude. And it is frustrating to me because I'm an honest guy. I, I like to just be truthful to people and say, hey, this is what you're getting. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sell things to people. I'm trying to give them what they want, <laughs> mm. uh, which is it's a challenge. Well, the best version of what they want. Yeah, the best version of, you know, we're making, I don't want to be cliche here. So anyway, the point is making these numbers bigger and bigger is not going to benefit anyone. It's a race to the bottom. Mm. I recognize that. And I recognize that a few years ago, um, honestly, Adam Amp and Adam Dack were extremely successful. We had no idea how successful they would be. And that was due in large part because they happened to hit such high numbers um, mm. in terms of benchmark performance. But I think it's it's wrong to continue down that path. I I just don't hear any difference when I listen to an Adamant from 2018 versus an Adamant Plus manufactured today in 2021. There's definitely Adam a point Plus, of diminishing returns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Adamant was like 113 dB in terms of Cyanide. Adamant Plus is 119. And it's, it's difficult to say that anyone should hear this. Key point here, we actually shipped Adamant Pluses to... Adam Amp customers for over a month without telling no way. Them. We give them a free upgrade so that when we could announce the Adam Amp Plus, we were trying to line up the, the PCB production batches with the enclosure batches, and we had more enclosures and circuit boards. Anyway, so we just decided, okay, well, it's better. We know it's better, and no one's going to argue with us. Sure. If we send them a free upgrade, so we'll just upgrade all the boards and then tell them later. And we did. No one knew. Absolutely wow. no one recognized any difference. And that was, that was hundreds and hundreds of amplifiers out in the market. Not a few, but hundreds. Like in <laughs> was, was, that, was that surprising to you? Or, or was, what, did it no, kind no, of be I, like, oh, I, well, I, guess we, I guess we kind of realized. Yeah. I, I was confident no one would know. Okay, fair and enough. I was right. Yeah. Hmm. So that, that really proves the point. Where are we going next? Um, it's not about numbers. We, we cannot push that, those numbers up even higher and say that it's better. That would be a lie. So we're not mm -hmm. going to do it. Um, so the, where are we going next? I want to focus on, on other areas of, uh, of control. Um, and I think that will become more clear as we begin to release some of these ideas. But it's no longer about numbers. So I, I will say that much. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, I have to say, even though, and I and I totally understand, um, uh, but I, I I have to say, I, I think wh whatever you guys are working on, I think it's going to be very very exciting, um, and and I think, you see, this is what really makes me so happy about working with you guys and 
and and being able to to honestly say to my audience that not only within your price point but within a price point that is two or three or even four times higher than what you're charging it's the best product within that uh within that price range and for me to be able to say that with complete confidence and and honesty and and passion as well for what you guys are creating is really exciting for me and doing this episode i know that whatever you're working on most people will be able to get their hands on it you know there are a few episodes i mean i I, I did an episode with with Sankar uh, from Audacy, um, which was essentially the announcement episode for his new electrostatic headphones, which are $5,000. I don't know many people who are ever going to be able to own them. I don't know many people who are ever going to be able to listen to them, to be completely honest. And it's really interesting exploring that side of the market, that kind of, you know, unicorn you know, crazy high end, pushing everything to the absolute limit, whether it's the technological advancements or the actual build quality. You know, everything is just ranked up to a hundred. But I, I, I am extraordinarily excited doing an episode like this because I know that whatever you guys come out with, most people, if not everyone, will be able to get hold of one. It's extremely non-price prohibitive, and I think that's extraordinarily admirable of what you guys have been doing um and i'm very uh, very fortunate and lucky uh to be able to have experienced what you guys are doing and i'm very excited for what you guys are currently producing i think it's going to be great no the pleasure's mine and and, and john i have to say you know it, it really has been a pleasure having you on um you know i know you guys must be super busy so I have to say thank you very much for kind of spending the time that you have with me. Um, and it's been um, a real eye-opener, um, whether, whether it was debunking, uh, splitting the, the DAC and the AMP, or learning about the story of JDS. It's, um, it's, it's really been fun. I, I, have to, I have to thank you for your time. A pleasure speaking with you.